to a new episode of Beginner's Mind. Today, again, with another Life Science Get-Together recording. Usually it takes hundreds of millions to bring a novel therapeutic or vaccine to the market. So the most pressing question usually is when developing a life science company, where do we get the money from? especially in basic research and the early stages of product development. Usually in these phases, no institutional investor is willing to take the risk. The risk of failure in early stage development is almost 99.9%. So out of 100 projects, only one reaches the market. For that reason, the, Euro For that reason, the European Union has developed an outstanding public funding program. It's called Horizon Europe. Its purpose is to fund the riskiest stages of the development of life science projects, especially those where almost no private investor is willing to invest. How these funding schemes work and what it takes to reach out to world-class scientists I will cover with two colleagues from the United Kingdom in today's episode. Michael Brown has built and led the Public Grant Funding Office at the UCL for more than 13 years. Now he has started the company Crowdhelix and he will talk about what Crowdhelix is and how it can support scientists who want to access Horizon Europe. Michael is accompanied by Kimberly Cornfield. She is responsible for raising public grants at the UCL. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm very happy to speak with two colleagues from the United Kingdom. Welcome to the show, Michael Brown. Well, um, good afternoon, Christian. It's a pleasure to be here. And Kimberly Cornfield. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. You are both in the United Kingdom currently. How is life these days in the United Kingdom? Uh, so obviously um, uh, dominated at the moment by COVID-19 uh, crisis. Uh, we're in partial lockdown um, at the moment, so life is quite unusual. Um, and just trying our best to get on with life as best we can whilst also tackling um, this, uh, this challenging time at the moment. Yeah, good to hear that you are uh, both well. Uh, Kimberly, we met uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, when I think back about the time we were working together on various projects, uh, there is one particular thing that uh, sticks in my mind and that I remember quite well. Uh, it's the point that uh, Kimberly studied at the University of Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Yes. Oh, so, um, well, when I started my undergraduate studies, um, you can hear from my accent, I'm not um, originally from the UK. Uh, I'm Canadian. And um, when I started out my undergraduate studies, I also wanted to live abroad. And at the time, um, I found a university in the Arctic, uh, which is in Rovaniemi, Finland. And I decided to go on an adventure and, and do my undergraduate studies and travel. Um, so it is the official home of Santa Claus. Um, and actually from there, I ended up uh, staying for, to do a postgraduate qualification in project management and um, met a colleague, um, a now colleague at uh, University College London. We stayed in 
in touch and um, I came out and joined um, him and Michael Brown um, in the European office uh, at UCL working on research projects. Um, and there I also continued uh, my postgraduate studies in project management at UCL. And what is your current role at the UCL? I'm head of proposal management uh, within our European Research and Innovation Office. So I basically look after um, sort of the pre-award stage of proposals um, for the European Union's Horizon 2020 program, which is um, 80 billion in funding over the last six years with one more year to go. Um, and I work uh, with our academics and my team to identify funding opportunities, to build collaborations, to access this funding. And a big part of what I do is actually identify uh, new partnerships, in particular with industry, as these type of projects um, require a more diverse collaboration. So it's really about connecting research with industry to achieve um, you know, uh, more impact after the end of the project, getting medical devices, for example, closer to market. Thank you, Kimberly. Maxi, we were introduced by Kimberly also a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And before founding CrowdHelix, you were head of European Research and Innovation at the UCL. And mm -hmm. if I got it right from the internet, it was for more than 13 years. Yes. It basically means that every world-class scientist had to pass through your office to get access to the European grant funding. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your background, where you're coming from, and uh, how it came that uh, you have built up this uh, massive engine at UCL? Um, sure. So, uh, yes, I, I was at UCL for um, around 13 uh, years and, and head of European Research and Innovation for about 10 years. Um, so my background, uh, so I did a degree in politics and then did a, a, a postgrad um, qualification in politics of the European Union. Um, and then I joined uh, my first job was at Imperial College. Uh, for a year and then I moved to UCL and then shortly after being at UCL was uh, appointed as uh, head of it was back then European Research and Development um, and then back then we had a team of around uh, three three or four people and then over a period of around five or six years we built that team up to uh, close to 20 people using public funding directly and indirectly to um, offset the capacity, so uh, sorry, the services that we uh, were providing at UCL, provide, which were uh, proposal development, project management, and also innovation management services. Um, but I think as, as the years went on, um, we started to kind of look at different ways of operating. Um, and then as um, a, a new framework program was about to start, uh, which was about six or seven years ago, Horizon 2020, um, we, we could see that there was going to be a change in the way that the European Commission was funding collaborative projects and that there was going to be an increase in focus on innovation and impact. And when we looked at the types of networks that UCL was involved in uh, previously, um, a lot of these networks were uh, composed mainly of uh, universities and research organisations. And then it was clear that in order for us to uh, continue to be competitive in this area, uh, the nature of these consortiums would need to have to, to, would have to change and that we would need to have businesses and end users 
um, and, and innovation actors in, in our consortiums. Um, and then when we looked around to see what networks and uh, platforms were available uh, that we could use to help to facilitate this, there weren't actually uh, any doing this at that time. So uh, we back then uh, thought we'd think we'd start um, uh, a network which was back then called Vision 2020 um, and is now today renamed and rebranded as, as the Crowd Helix platform. And uh, that's where I'm currently working at now full time. So I left my, my job at UCL um, mm-hmm. after, after those many years, um, actually uh, one month ago. Congratulations to that step. It's basically leaving the safe haven and uh, jumping into a startup uh, company, mm-hmm. which is quite an amazing journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Crowd Helix? Uh, what exactly is it? Sure. So, um, Crowd Helix is a network of research organizations and universities and businesses uh, across Europe. And we also have some global organizations as well. Um, so what we do is we profile these organizations and bring them into the network and help them to uh, do collaboration. Uh, our main focus is with collaboration is on Horizon 2020. Um, so what we do is we look at the funding opportunities that will be coming through from the European Commission. We identify what these projects uh, are looking to achieve uh, from a policy perspective. And then what we'll do is we will profile the organizations and the people within those organizations who are members within our platform and part of our network. And then we will, we will bring them together to form a consortium to, to deliver projects that are then funded by the European Commission. That sounds, that sounds great and very interesting. And uh, when I was preparing and, uh, for this call and also when we started talking a couple of years ago, I always thought, I mean, there are so many uh, service providers on the market who are uh, doing something around the Horizon programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is something, I think, with Crowd Helix that is very unique, Kimberly. It's basically based in the UCL network. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, how this all evolved uh, in the UCL and uh, what uh, basically contacts you have available? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, so the um, the network uh, has, of course, developed with, with Michael throughout Promote UCL. Um, me working in UCL, um, I'm, I represent UCL um, on the platform as, as one of the main contacts. Um, and so I can support all of our academics across all research fields mm-hmm. in identifying opportunities that are flagged with, um, throughout the platform. Um, so it's got a technology platform behind it where we can all post and share potential collaboration opportunities. So it kind of it's two way for us. It's one that if we are looking for partners, um, we've got access to this huge network where we can reach out to other organizations. Um, equally, um, they can share opportunities um, which could be applicable to 
a wide variety of researchers across their organization. Um, there's, these types of projects are quite um, broad in a sense. Um, so it could be that we actually have a more junior researcher uh, that has a skill set, um, has a knowledge base that would actually fit quite well with an external project. Um, and we can bring them on as experts or you know, lead uh, parts of the project. Um, yeah. When I think about, I think one one part is you're talking about the Horizon programs. Yeah. Um, this is a deep tech funding scheme in Europe, which supports uh, university-based projects, but also projects with a connect to the industry. Um, I think there is one particular uh, item that stands out with Proud Helix. This is really the huge and massive network uh, that you have, which tremendously helps to build syndicates. Matthew, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the capabilities of CrowdTelix? Yeah, sure. So, well, our membership um, consists of um, more than 500 organizations. Mm -hmm. um, these typically fall under three types of category organizations. So we have what we call RTOs, which are research technology organizations. So these are research centers and universities, of which we've got around about 90 members. Um, then we have um, around 400 uh, SMEs. Uh, and then we have about 20 multinational corporates. We do have other types of organizations like uh, some hospitals and NGOs and so on. But that's the main composition of our, of our network. Um, what we, so that, that network in itself, uh, I think the last figure that we came when we did an assessment, uh, we came up with a figure of around about uh, seven and a half billion euros of funding that's been awarded wow. to those organisations under the last six years of Horizon 2020. So what, we, what we're trying to do is not to create the biggest network, but uh, a, a quality network and a network that, that's winning um, in Horizon 2020. And we try to... Um, go with it, go into the organizations to identify the winners uh, and the connectors and try to, to build teams around that. And we do that through um, our technology platform, which is a matchmaking tool where you profile your organization and your organization's capabilities and people then can register their expertise on the platform. And then we encourage people to use it as, a, as an expert or partner searching tool. So if you're looking, if you're doing a project in a particular area, as a coordinator and you're looking for a specific um, expert in a, in, a, mm -hmm. in a specific area, you can post it on the platform and then the platform will generate some suggested um, matches to suit the post. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's underpinned by, um, we've recently launched a recommender engine, which is a, um, a tool which we built ourselves in house. We have our own development team that are constantly improving and developing the platform. And uh, what we're trying to do is make it easier for organizations to find the best partners. We do this increasingly more now through technology, but we also do this through uh, targeted brokerage events as well. So if we, we do around about 10 to 15 events per year when things are, are normal, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and then what, you know, these will be across uh, various thematic areas, so health, uh, digital, et cetera, et cetera. And then what we'll do is we'll identify areas for projects that will be um, funded by the European Commission. And then we'll use the platform to bring together experts to those events. And then we'll use it as a, broker mm -hmm. a brokerage and a partner in 
um, uh, vehicle or, or tool to, in, in person to bring people and build teams. Yeah, let's play it a little bit through with a practical example, I guess, uh, to exemplify to the listeners. Um, I think when I found a company in the life science industry, usually the question that pops up is, uh, where do I get the money from? Mm-hmm. Um, developing anything in life science means um, the company needs a minimum of 10 to 20 million euros to reach any significant point in time. Mm-hmm. And I think what stands out in Europe is uh, the Horizon program. I mm-hmm. think, Kimberly, you have a lot of uh, experience with the Horizon program. Can you explain a little bit uh, how that works and uh, what life science successes you have uh, supported to raise money via Horizon programs? Yes. we've um, So a large... Uh, a significant amount of research at UCL um, is in life and medical sciences. So a lot of the proposals that uh, our team have been working on and projects that we're managing um, are life and medical sciences under Horizon 2020. Um, some are earlier stage, um, but there's more funding um, trying to help uh, get devices or research to the next stage. Um, worked with some companies where we've been able to um with their they they're holding the ip look at develop and get to the next phase of clinical trials um for a device so we've been able to partner with the research organizations um so if ucl is leading we're working with the with the companies um that are looking to further the the technologies we're working with hospitals and um we secure usually about Projects of this size are usually around um, 6 million to 10 million euros uh, for a project. Mm-hmm. Um, so to help these technologies progress to the next stage. Um, and then depending on where they're at, you can look at European funding still as future options, or this is where working with networks like yourselves is where um, we can also um, take the results of, of these projects and hopefully connect with, with other companies or investors or other funding opportunities to take that forward. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, one uh, interesting point with the Horizon program is, uh, besides that it's a good funding scheme, is that it supports only syndicates. So basically, when I have an idea, I would call up Kimberly at the UCL, and uh, if that's interesting for one of the scientists in the UCL, we can uh, start thinking about going for Horizon grant. But two parties are usually not a syndicate. Uh, Michael, my question to you is, uh, what could I do as a next step? Um, so, sure. So, uh, register. Um, well, so, first, uh, we would welcome anyone who's interested uh, in Crowd Helix to, to register uh, on the platform. Um, and then, if, if they have an idea in themselves, a concept of a, of a, or a project, they'd want to really speak to their local expert. So you could speak to someone at Crowd Helix if they want, but maybe if they're local, like if they're at UCL or, or at their uni- local university, then maybe speak to someone like Kimberly uh, to mm-hmm. talk through their idea and then they can help to develop that and see if it's appropriate and competitive enough. Um, and then that can then be taken forward to see if the, they can help to build a consortium around that idea and platforms and networks like Crowd Helix can, can be used to build that. I think, you know, the challenges uh, that we try to address are that I think when you look at researchers typically, uh, and especially early stage researchers, um, they tend to lack um, international networks and they t- tend to lack international networks that go into different sectors as well. And mm-hmm. Cloud Helix can be used to address that challenge. And then on the flip side, SMEs, um, 
whilst they want to build networks with researchers um, on an internet on universities and research organizations on an international scale they quite often just don't have the time to do that um, and uh, they, they don't know where to go and it's quite often not a number one priority for them as a business running day to day so what we're trying to do is address both of those challenges through the network and through the platform and if if a person has an idea a project idea if they want to speak to their local um, EU expert and see if they if it's appropriate and then then they can use networks and, and tools like CrowdHelix to help to build consortia. Yeah, the syndicate and consortia building is really uh, something that uh, takes a whole lot of time. And mm -hmm. if I got you right, CrowdHelix is a platform that has already a built uh, network to experts in Europe that facilitates the process. Did you? Uh, how many experts do you have in your network? Um, so on the platform itself, we have uh, approaching 4,000 users. Um, and so these are registered experts, but we also have an extended network, both within the organizations and outside the organization. What I, what I mean by that is if someone puts a post on there and they see uh, a post looking for a particular expert and that, and that person knows of the someone who, who can address that need, mm -hmm that someone isn't registered on the platform, then that, that, that opportunity can be referred in. So with, with right. the organization or outside of the organization, I think the, the whole idea behind it is based on the concept of trust. And we're very happy to open these opportunities out mm -hmm. as long as they're referred by someone because that referral was the mechanism by which we're sort of defining the, the trust, yeah. the, the trust idea. I will post a link to to CrowdTelix in the uh, uh, in the in the text to the to the podcast episode. Uh, so let, let's go go a step further. So I have an idea. I called Kimberly. We ca both came to the conclusion it makes sense uh, to move forward, and uh, we also looked up the Horizon program, which sounds quite interesting, and we found something that we think we can propose to. Uh, and then the next step would be to step uh, get in touch with CrowdTelix and uh, start forming the consortia via your platform by posting the idea on the platform. And let's also assume that works fine and we get that. I think then comes the most important part. This is the grant writing. Mm -hmm. Are there any uh, services or uh, anything that your platform provides to facilitate the grant writing process? Um, not not in-house within CrowdHelix. We, mm -hmm. The grant writing itself is normally done by the coordinator and so that's typically mm -hmm. led by the research organization so in that case it'll be someone like Kimberly at UCL and or her counterparts at other organizations that will be helping to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. Kimberly how would it work with, uh, with, with the UCL? Um, so if we were if we were in touch um, say you've got a company and I've got a researcher and um, there's an idea we would assess it to see if it's viable for a Horizon 2020 call um, we would work with a network like CrowdHelix or like yours to source the other partners that we might need that aren't in the existing network of our academic and your business. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and it, with UCL's involvement, um, and it's a collaborative project, then my team and I uh, can help in the whole preparation of the grant. So we work, we're, um, we're basically an in-house consultancy where uh, we work uh, to improve the chances of success that, that this research uh, gets funded. Um, and so that's sort of the front end side of things where I work on. Um, and we also have a project management unit where we can help deliver the entire project. So we really take 
from very early concept stage, my team and I, and partnership developing with a network like Crowd Helix and yours. Um, and we tried to bring the project through delivery and, and more and more focusing on the innovation side and the impact and those industrial partners and bringing them on at a, at, at right from the beginning. This is very helpful when I think about uh, companies, usually uh, investors like investing in companies. So the first step is taking patent and uh, a team from the university into a corporate shell. And then this makes the investors investing. But uh, the teams in these corporate shells are usually small teams who are already overwhelmed with daily business and moving the project forward. So what you are offering that you can take over grant writing, I think is very helpful. Uh, how can this uh, an SME in this game also uh, benefit from the capabilities of Crowd Helix and your team, Kimberly, at the UCL uh, when it comes uh, to the time after winning a grant? Because I think there's also a lot of reporting that needs to be done, follow up with the European Union. Uh, how does that look like in reality? Um, if, if there's, so there's specific mechanisms for SMEs to apply for what's called uh, SME funding, um, and it's not so much on a collaborative um, scale as, as what I'm working in, and, and Michael can maybe speak a bit more uh, to that, but um, uh, with collaborative fundings and if we've got UCL involved, um, then we can support, uh, we support all partners in the projects, um, but we do pay, take special note of our SME partners involved um, because uh, it's quite often we've got a huge infrastructure to support these types of collaborations where we recognize our um, SME partners don't usually have the same capacity. So um, we try to help as best we can to coordinate it. We take, we specialize in understanding the EU um, rules, regulations, how these run so that we can make it um, as limited um, as possible in terms of extra work or administration for, for our partners. That's great, Michael. Um, yeah, so just to follow on from that, I think when you look at the way Horizon 2020 is designed and also what the Commission's thinking is for the next framework programme, which starts next year, Horizon Europe, the collaborative uh, components of this are very much designed, you know, towards high levels of TRLs, uh, you know, very much focused on innovation, less about research. So, by the very nature of the design, the projects are very much focused towards businesses, towards SMEs, mm -hmm. closer to market actors. The, the challenge is that these organizations are quite often not, don't have the capacity and capabilities to be able to do these grants on their own because they're just, they're, they're a lot of work. They're very complex. Um, you know, you, they, they, don't, they don't have their own research support offices like, for example, UCL would have. So there's, but whereas Kimberly and her team have the expertise, have the track record of doing this. So by working in tandem, they, that, that can sometimes the front end support that Kimberly and her team and research support offices across Europe can provide within universities can help to support um, bids that are being developed by SMEs with SMEs taking a leading role, but with maybe some of the sort of heavy lifting, so to speak, is done by, by research organizations that have the in-house capabilities to do that. Mm. This is very helpful because, I mean, you mentioned Horizon Europe is more emphasizing the development part, not so much the research part like it was in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, one key to success in winning Horizon Europe grants will be the grant writing skill. 
Can you tell us a little bit more, Kimberly and Michael, about the design of the Horizon Europe program? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it's very similar to Horizon 2020. Um, the sort of you'll have these um, challenged, big thematic challenge areas uh, like uh, climate and health, and um, the funding allocated uh, to this will be um, at the moment being proposed in a region of around about 100 billion euros. Um, and I'd, uh, what's being proposed is about two thirds of that will be going towards collaborative research projects. Um, so the, the, there will be a lot of opportunity for this. I think the design in itself, the, the approach to systems um, will be very, very similar to what we have with Horizon 2020. I think the commission have decided not to revolutionize that part of the process, unlike previous transitions. Um, so they just kind of an incremental step into a new program. So the design, the approach, to, uh, the, 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 the setup will be very, very similar. There'll be a kind of a slight realignment in terms of priority areas, but they will be effectively the same, funding the same types of activities. I think there will be uh, continued focus on innovation and projects that are closer to market. And I think the commission will want to see so whereas before, if you go back you know, five, ten years ago, projects were, being, were doing very much early stage research and development and that maybe the end of the project you'd be at maybe TRL three or four. Yeah. Um, and then when the funding ran out, a lot of the IP and knowledge that was created, unless there was follow-on funding, would then just effectively sit on the shelf and you know, not very much impact at all. Whereas the commission now have moved the inception points for projects higher and higher. Um, and I think for Horizon Europe, it's going to be even higher. So I think the expectation is that by the end of projects, they will want to see, uh, you know, commercialization, um, stuff coming to go into market um, and sort of real, real economic and social impact being demonstrated. Yeah, this is, this is always uh, an interesting challenge to take out a patent and an idea mm -hmm. from uh, the basic research bench and bring it to the development bench of a company. I think these are completely different worlds. Kimberly, can you tell us a little bit about how, how it works in, in the UCL? Yeah, with respect to, to what we're developing in, in collaborative projects, I mean, it's something, uh, it's a really important, uh, important piece of, of how these projects come together, um, not only because the commission's requiring it, but, but we want to get these um, projects, you know, to continue once they've, once they've officially funded with commission funding. Um, so now what we're doing is we're working with um, experts from an early stage in proposals and helping design um, the exploitation uh, of these research projects from the beginning and having the right actors um, on board in order to 
to plan uh, from the beginning and have a, a process throughout the proposal that our academic colleagues are getting connected with the right actors, with the right support, because we recognize it's, it's very different, um, uh, you know, once, once we've got the patent filed and how do we go from there. Uh, I think this text transfer is worth another episode. <laughs> so it's quite <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it's quite an interesting part. Uh, we currently have, um, I think, a, a huge challenge worldwide. And this is the uh, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, and it's uh, connected illness, COVID-19. So currently we don't have, uh, I think, any medication on the market, neither a vaccine. I heard today that uh, the Gilead project seems to develop quite well. And from China, I read that uh, soon a vaccine should go into clinical phase two testing. Um, do you have uh, any activities in crowd helix, Michael, uh, or at the UCL, Kimberly, that's related to the uh, actual challenges we have? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, just in response to that. So um, just over a month ago, <clears throat> we... So the way Crowd Helix is structured underneath the, the network and platform is around uh, clusters, which we call helixes. So these are virtual technology clusters within the platform. And we have 20, 22 of these live at the moment from health to climate and, and other areas. Um, but a month ago, in response to the challenge, we, um, we launched a COVID-19 helix. And we made this completely free and open for people to use. And uh, we made it a, a, a global uh, we, we approached it on a global scale as well. So mm. I think since then, we've had around 200 odd, uh, 250 um, new users from all over the world that have subscribed to the Helix. Um, we've had around, I think, 35 different posts uh, look for partners, looking for collaborators. Um, so there was just one actually this morning uh, where we've had the University of Ottawa in Canada who is looking for um, an SME uh, that's been now being connected to um, in, in London that focuses on molecular design, is using AI and quantum technology techniques in molecular design. Uh, so that's one example of, of matching in this area. And um, I think for us now, we're, we're continuing to sort of promote and, um, and grow that helix um, going forward and trying to make it as um, we're just in the process of, of starting to track and capture the the outcomes that have been generated over the last month from those 35 uh, posts that have, been, um, that have been issued. Do we have a special focus uh, on digital health or therapeutics or vaccines, or is it open to, to anybody? It's completely open. So from virology to mechanical engineering to you know, policy, uh, it's, com it's completely open. And it's completely open to uh, corporations um, and uh, universities, research organizations from, from all over the world. Okay. So we, we've had uh, organisations that have joined from Canada to Japan. Um, we we also had a few a few organisations join from Africa as well. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any special focus um, from the European Union that you're currently aware of uh, when somebody signs up at uh, CrowdTelix and looking for for partners? Are there any special funding opportunities available right now? Yeah, lots uh, from all areas. So. Uh, there's uh, health calls that are being uh, um, currently that are closing in uh, about a month's time. But I think realistically, if people are looking for new opportunities, uh, the next set of uh, calls will be at the end of the summer uh, or end of August, early September. So these will be in areas around ICT, 
cybersecurity, um, and some uh, sub areas of health as well. Mm-hmm. Kimberly, how how is UCL involved with the current uh, COVID nineteen research when it comes to to grant funding? Is there any special activity? Yeah, we have a significant uh, involvement um, now with um, researchers from life and medical sciences, but also across policy, social sciences. So we actually have a, uh, a hub on our on our web pages for, which is outla- outlining significant activity. Um, our experts also are advising um, governments um, on how to respond to this. So lots of activity um, and funding as well. And it's great to be able to, um, you know, this is a, a, a shared uh, a shared problem that we all want to resolve and having, um, you know, our, you know, research very open about what we're working on as always, but also being able to access things like this Helix, where the um, possibility to um, extend uh, the connections uh, internationally uh, is fantastic. That's great. Uh, so basically any company within uh, the network of this podcast uh, could uh, register at Crowd Helix for free if the company intends uh, to contribute to the current COVID-19 challenge, if I got the right, Michael. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, is Crowd Helix generally for free or uh, do you also have um, for you the services you provide and the connect- connections? I mean, how do you, how do you finance Crowd Helix? So our business model, so we're, we're an SME. Uh, we're based in the UK and also in, in Ireland as well. And our business model is, uh, our core business model is subscription-based. Mm-hmm. So uh, organizations pay an annual subscription fee to, um, to get access and participate, to get access to the network and, and, and also the platform. Uh, so our universities uh, have one uh, model and uh, we, we have uh, another model for corporations and a, a separate um, funding price for, for SMEs as well. But what we do for, um, if you're a startup, um, and or if you're linked to a, to a spin out from uh, one of our university members, we would be willing to consider uh, participation in the platform for free. Mm-hmm. What, what, about, what about the companies? I can uh, imagine that uh, the listed companies, especially the bigger ones, I mean, when I think about life science or names pop up like Gilead or, uh, or Pfizer or also mm-hmm. Bering Abraham, which uh, is a German company or Bayer. Uh, and I think these companies very often have uh, challenges mm-hmm. um, in-house, but not the personnel in-house that can solve the challenges. I mean, basically, I think about uh, writing a paper, doing a small study by a mm-hmm. postdoc or a PhD student or uh, a master student. Is there any possibility to, to access uh, PhDs or postdocs mm-hmm. or master students or bachelor students via Crowdtelix in a more efficient way than uh, ringing all universities of the world through? Yeah, sure. So we do this separately as well for um, our corp- some of our corporate members. Uh, so uh, just give you one example uh, with uh, Coca-Cola, who is one of our members. So they had identified a challenge in the area of biodegradable materials. Um, and they wanted um, to use the network to see if uh, researchers and PhD students could could address that challenge that would align with what their needs are. So we set up a, an innovation investment prize scheme uh, where we did a call to action 
um, effectively a call for proposal across the network and we had a significant amount of interest in that sort of high response rate from across the network and then crowd helix would then collate these filter them and then present them to coca-cola and then coca-cola we would then run a, an, a, a basically an investment uh, day where the the ideas that were picked and selected as potentials uh, would come and they would pitch their idea to coca-cola and then coca-cola would then uh, potentially invest in one or, or more of those ideas. Okay. That's great. Sounds like it's uh, like a start of an incubation program. Yes, yes, exactly. Kimberly, how would it be uh, when companies address directly you uh, at UCL? Is this also something UCL is doing? Um, so if, um, if anyone's interested uh, at UCL, we do, um, we've got a number of parts across the university that might be supporting this type of activity, um, but I'm always open for companies to contact me and I can help them navigate through the university to get in touch with the right people um, so that that moves forward more efficiently. Mm -hmm. when, we, when we come back to grant funding and the coming year, so Horizon Europe is coming up, uh, what advice is, I think, the last question of the podcast, Michael, what advice or recommendation would you, when it comes to the Horizon European program? To, to who? To SMEs? To SMEs, yes. <clears throat> Network uh, with organizations um, who are, have a track record in this. Um, yeah. Try not to do uh, the heavy lifting on your own. Um, try and uh, starts if you're doing it to begin with do it as a partner as part of a network and and then sort of build your capabilities that way i think leading a project to begin with is is a lot of work um and uh, a lot of resource and something i wouldn't advise any organization whether a research center sort of a researcher in a research organization or, or an sme to do uh for the first time i think being a partner is always the best way um being connected um, in, in platforms and networks like CrowdHelix, so making yourself more visible um, and using technology uh, to enable that as well. So if any of your uh, listeners or extended listeners want to uh, register a profile themselves on, on CrowdHelix, they're very happy to contact me or, or register directly on the platform itself. Super. I will leave your contact data in the description to the podcast. Kimberly. What is your advice uh, to SMEs when uh, company owners or investors in, in SMEs in life science consider participating in the Horizon Europe program? So mine, it would be similar uh, to Michael's with a, an addition of, of knowing that the, it is really competitive for the funding. Um, so speaking with teams like mine that can help assess uh, the idea that you have and how well it fits the program. I think can be very beneficial because it's a lot of work that goes into this. So, um, you know, connecting with um, grant writers like my, my team um, can be very helpful to make sure that you're actually finding the right opportunities for yourself um, and you're finding like what everything that identifying everything that you need um, and looking at the process ahead of time and also making sure that um, when, when we're planning that, that longer term, that is really aligning to the, the business itself. So that if you're getting involved as a partner, that, that, you know, that, that really meets kind of your, your business objectives as well, because the, um, the project one for a little while and, and, um, it's, it's competitive to get the funding, but 
when you get all the different components there, um, these can be great opportunities to, to bring funding into your business and help, you know, in, with our researchers and really getting these things to market, which I think is very exciting. Kimberly, Michael, thank you very much for your time. It's always a huge pleasure working together with you both. And I believe, uh, Michael, what you are building with CrowdHelix is amazing. I think you have one of the most relevant networks when it comes to European grant funding and connecting universities and SMEs in Europe. And also, Kimberly, uh, your expertise uh, that I have seen in many projects already uh, is outstanding. So I'm looking forward to stay in touch and hear more of you in future. Thanks, Christian. Thanks very much, Christian. It's a pleasure always to work with, with you and your network. Thank you, Christian. Have a good, day. Have a good day. Bye, bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.